Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. All right, guys, today we're going to talk about Chapter 4 of Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. Uh, this chapter is titled The Education of an Organizer. Now, if you're going to write down your process for completing a task, you can write a pretty lengthy paper about that. You can't write a full-length book just based on how you think someone should go about completing a certain task. So as I was going into this book, I always knew that it was going to be padded with stories and Solinsky's history and some personal philosophy just to kind of beef it up and fill out several pages. But Rules for Radicals is just shy of 200 pages. I knew that it was going to be loaded with filler. There was going to be a lot of fluff. There was going to be a lot of him telling about the time that he was in St. Louis and this happened and and a lot of garbage like that. Just stuff that doesn't really tell you what it is he's trying to get across. But when you're trying to write a book, you have to add some stuff in. Basically, that's what Chapter 4 is. Chapter 4 deals exclusively with the times that he spent holding symposiums and giving seminars and doing classes, trying to train other people to be organizers in the vein that he was. Now, I'm not saying that the chapter is a complete waste of time. There are a couple of things in the chapter that make it worthwhile to read. One of which is that you get a little bit of an insight into what kind of person Saul Linsky was, I personally really like people that have a self-deprecating sense of humor and can honestly look at themselves and make honest and fair assessments about their skills. And it's pretty clear that Saul Linsky did not consider himself an outstanding teacher, or at least it was not something that came naturally to him. I would like to read you an excerpt from the chapter where he's talking about how he felt giving these classes. I know that in a community working as an organizer... I have unlimited patience in talking to and listening to the local residents. Any organizer must have this patience. But among my faults is that in a teaching position, at the training institute, or at a conference, I become an intellectual snob with unimaginative limited students and those that are, sorry, those that are impatient, bored, and inexcusably rude. I like that. I, I like that he could see that and he could enumerate that as one of his faults. Most people simply can't do that. I don't care what they're undertaking. They cannot look, even if the final product of what they were trying to do is an absolute hot mess, they're going to have 50 excuses of why that happened. And none of those excuses is going to be, well, apparently I'm just not very good at this. Saul Linsky was a rare individual in that he could look at his own foibles and recognize them as such. So for me, that is a big point in his favor. Most of the chapter, like I say, it's a lot of fluff. The main part of the chapter basically is him going over when he was trying to teach somebody to be an organizer. It was the personality traits that he would look for in a student and he was saying that he got to where if he could find these personality traits he knew that this person you know maybe they're not a natural born organizer but they could definitely learn how to do it and be good at it the first thing he said he looked for is curiosity Solinsky felt that or after his own personal experiences trying to teach people is that if somebody doesn't have a curious mind 
they're not going to learn new information, or at the very least, they're going to not learn it very well, kind of come by it grudgingly. But he felt that if he could find somebody with a curious mind, they would pick up the information very easily, and they would adapt to the curriculum more readily than someone without a curious mind. The second thing that he said he looked for in a student was irreverence. He felt that you have to be able to question the status quo. If you're not able to do that, you're not going to be a very effective organizer. The third thing he looked for was imagination. I don't think that needs any explanation. The next thing he looked for was a sense of humor. Now, does anyone on the progressive left today have a sense of humor? Most of these people spend an awful lot of time trying to get comedians canceled because they made an off-color joke. I mean, I could make a pretty strong argument that the progressive left has been fighting a scorched-earth policy war for about the last 20 years on having a sense of humor. Imagine what people like Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor, Sam Kennison, George Carlin, what, what kind of stuff would they face today if they got up on stage and tried to say some of the things they said? The next thing he said he looked for was an organized mind. Again, that one does not need any explanation. If you're trying to organize something, the person has to have an organized mind. And that's not just for community organizers or political agendas. I mean, if you've got a Cub Scout troop or a church choir, the person in charge of that has to be organized or everything's just going to be a giant mess. He also said he looks for someone with an ego. Now, he does not mean an egomaniac when he says that. He's not looking for an egotist. Uh, When he's talking about ego, he means confidence. He said that he's looking for someone that knows there are going to be bumps in the road, that knows that there's going to be obstacles that have to be overcome, and somebody that has the confidence and the way he's putting it, the ego, to keep pushing through those things, to not give up when something goes a little bit awry, to, to keep pushing forward. And the last thing he said that he looks for in a student is someone who's open-minded. Now, again, does that sound like the modern left? Um, There is no room for deviation in their ideology. And if you deviate at all from the path that they're saying everyone should live, they will attack you like ravenous hyenas. Open-minded is not what I would describe someone that's a progressive leftist in any way, shape, or form. And that is the end of the list of the things that he would look for in a student when he was at a conference teaching other people to be organizers like him. Now, if that was all the chapter was about, now obviously I skimmed over a lot of the information that he was giving there. Uh, He went on very long-winded explanations of the things that I wrapped up in about two minutes. Uh, If that's all the chapter was, like I say, that would have just been a way to add 20 pages to the length of the book. However, I said there are some things that make this chapter worth reading, and there are two nuggets in that chapter that I think are very germane to what we see going on both in the media and the progressive left as a whole, and those two things make this chapter worth reading. Uh, Without these things, this chapter would have been basically a commercial break in the middle of your favorite TV show. It's just something you get through to get back to the main event. But I'd like to read you another excerpt from the book. He who knows that worn-out words like white racist, fascist pig, and an expletive that I'm not going to repeat here, have been so spewed about that using them now is within the negative experience of the local people, serving only to identify the speaker as one of those nuts. 
What happens anytime anyone criticizes the left in these days and in this day and age? They're immediately called racist. They're immediately called stupid. They're immediately called a sexist. Immediately called a homophobe, a transphobe. Anything that you can put ist or obe on the end of, they will get that screamed at them from 30 different people. And if you go on Twitter or Facebook, it's thousands of people. And this, again, the left has made a demagogue out of Saul Alinsky. They don't know what this man said. They don't know what he stood for. They have taken a few kernels of what he taught and ran with it to the extreme, but they do not know what he said to do. Because pretty much everything they said to do, I'm only halfway through this book, and he has already said on numerous occasions that that is the last thing that a radical trying to bring change to the system should do. But this garbage of just immediately labeling a person is just the most with the most horrible personality traits that a person can have in the 20th century. I think there are two reasons that the progressive left does this. The first one is a lot of times the people that are yelling that stuff, they don't really have an opinion of their own. They have been told by somebody that this is the way they're supposed to think. And when you cannot attack the message, you have to resort to attacking the messenger. Now, for a long time in this country, being called a racist was one of the worst things anybody could accuse you of, and for years, for my entire life, in fact, whenever somebody was accused of being a racist, you know, somebody in the the public, not personally somebody you see on the street, but somebody in the public, I mean, they would fall all over themselves denying it, and they would immediately back off whatever they were saying. And from that point on, it was just them trying to defend themselves against this accusation of being a racist. So for years, yelling that out, that was the end of the argument. Because the person at that point was no longer interested in having the argument. They were just afraid that people were going to believe the accusation of racism. The good news about this is that has been yelled over so many things in the last 10, 15 years, that it has basically become meaningless. Like I said, anytime you criticize the left on anything, that's what gets shouted. I mean, and you see it in TV shows now. You've got the woke crowd that is writing all the movies and writing all the TV shows. And they put you know people of color in charge of these shows. They put people of color in the shows. You know, they have women writers, women producers, uh, trans people being showrunners, trans people in the shows. You know, they go for diversity all across the board. And then when everybody says that show wasn't very good, I can't believe I paid money to watch that crap. They start, oh, well, you you don't like it because a woman wrote it and the director was gay. It's never, and back to what I said about being able to spot your own foibles, it's never that, hey, Maybe we just wrote a bad TV show. Maybe we wrote a bad movie. The plot didn't make any sense. It was full of contrivances. 90% of the stuff that happened simply happened because the plot needed it to happen. There was no logical buildup or reason for that to occur. It's just we needed that to happen so we can get to the next little contrived plot point that we've got. But it's a defense mechanism at this point. 
let's get these people onto our program and then nobody can criticize. We don't have to worry that, you know, our writers don't know what we're doing and the director has never directed anything of note and the actors aren't very good and they're playing characters that don't make any sense. If anybody says anything, we'll just say that it's homophobia or it's sexism. And that way nobody can touch us and we can just keep making our crappy movie into infinitum. I think I just made up a word there. What I meant to say was ad infinitum, but moving on. The good news of what I'm trying to say is we've reached the point where being called a racist or being called a homophobe or being called a sexist, it doesn't mean anything really anymore. The only people that listen to that garbage anymore are the fellow woke people of the people yelling it. Most people hear it and, you know, they don't even think there for a little while there was a time where you would say, well, is he a racist or are they just saying he's a racist? We're past that point now. People hear that word and it's just noise. They don't listen to it at all. The only people that pay any attention to those accusations anymore are the media that are pushing the woke agenda and the woke people. The woke people are fast becoming a joke. That happens in all these movements. They go way too far. They become ridiculous. Then they become a parody of themselves. And then we spend the next five generations making fun of what idiots those people were back in the day. We're almost there. I can't wait. The only thing that sucks is the next thing's going to pop up in a couple of years and the cycle's going to repeat itself all over again. Because as the saying goes, everything old is new. Okay, moving on to the other reason that this chapter is well worth reading. And this one is actually kind of scary. This is the one that makes the progressives dangerous. And again, this is an excerpt from the chapter. The organizers should know and accept that the right reason is only introduced as a moral rationalization after the right end has been achieved, although it may have been achieved for the wrong reasons. Therefore, he should search for and use the wrong reasons to achieve the right goals. He should be able, with skill and calculation, to use irrationality in his attempts to progress toward a rational world. The ends justify the means, is basically what he's saying there. And this is the one that, and I'm not going to blame the left on this exclusively because the Republicans do this just as much, but it is the thinking that has led to, you know, it's okay for us to lie to you because otherwise you won't do what we need you to do. It's okay for us to make up headlines, falsify statistics, scare you, threaten you. This is the thinking that leads to that type of governing. This is the rationale that lets the follow the science crowd scream that you have to wear your mask when the science says that if you properly wear your mask 100% of the time that you are outside of your house, it has an effective rate of about 10%. It's the rationale of the anti-gun crowd that says their goal is to take guns out of the hands of the criminals, but every law that they want to pass, the only thing it would do is make it harder for law-abiding citizens to own a gun. The thinking is, is you won't do what us, your betters, have told you you need to do. So it is totally all right for us to lie to you and trick you to get you to where we think you should be. And this is the reason I could never be a progressive. To be a progressive, you have to be 100% absolutely a narcissist. 
Only a narcissist would believe that they are so much better than everyone else, that they are so much more evolved, so much more intellectual, so much more advanced than everybody else on the planet, that not only should they be allowed to tell everybody what to do, anybody that pushes back has got to be just a despicable monster and needs to be destroyed. I do not understand this desire to control other people's lives. I have zero desire to tell other people how to live. I don't want to do it. I understand that that's not my place to begin with. That is not how progressives look at the world. And this has went all the way back to Karl Marx. It's like I say, Karl Marx did not just write the Communist Manifesto. He did not just refine the idea of communism as a form of government and a social structure. He believed that the intellectual elites like himself needed to be in charge because nobody else would be able to do it. Karl Marx was a narcissist, and all the progressives that you see today are narcissists. You have to have that mentality to feel like you need to strong-arm people into living the way you tell them to live. The excerpt that I just read you, if the progressive left had a Vatican, that would be chiseled into the wall in marble. The ends justify the means. The good news in this situation being, as Sun Tzu said, know your enemy. And now that you know where that thought came from and the mentality behind it, it will make everyone better equipped to deal with the screaming, angry, bitter, purple-haired woke mob that wants to run your life based on that tenant. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is about all I have for you at the moment. Uh, If you enjoyed today's show, please leave me a like and a comment. As always, you can leave me a comment at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com or at the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. And if you really want to show me a little love, click the subscribe. God, I can't talk today. Click the subscribe button. I still can't say that word. That would be very much appreciated. I'm not going to go for it a third time. I'm just going to let that one lay. I hope you have a good work week, and we will speak again on Friday. Thank you very much, guys. Happy Tuesday.